The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to another live edition of What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley. With me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest of the Society of St. Pius V, and he also serves as the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you tonight? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. How are you? Just the same, Father. Good great. to see you. Yes, yes. Great to be here. Father, <laughs> any uh, prayer requests to begin the program tonight? Oh, always, Tom. Yes. Uh, there are any number of prayer requests that come in, you know, any given day, and uh, of course I ask for continued prayers for Joe and for young Blaze, especially now. Uh, Blaze is facing some surgery coming up soon, and uh, little guy has been through quite a bit more than a lot of adults throughout <laughs> an entire lifetime. Uh, so we continue praying for him and for his siblings, right? And there's a youngster named Strider also who needs our prayers. He's in a very bad situation now, and certain amount of danger, I think. And, uh, but, uh, you know, please continue praying for Donna. And uh, generally, I just ask people to please keep in their prayers all those on the Immaculate Heart of Mary prayer list. Uh, we have a website for prayer intentions, as you know, and uh, a heroic soul uh, maintains that and um, posts. Um, must be thousands of requests right now. People from all over the world are asking for, for, for prayers from uh, what I've called the Immaculate Heart of Mary prayer list because they know we pray and uh, they count on those prayers. I, I have kind of um, <coughs> christened it the Immaculate Heart of Mary prayer list because we read uh, in the Gospel that uh, the Blessed Mother kept all of these things in her heart. She pondered all of these things in her heart. These things being her life with our Lord and the events of that life, uh, the joined life of Jesus and Mary. Uh, Mary meditated, pondered on these things in her motherly memory, which is exactly what we're called upon to do when we pray the rosary. <clears throat> but um, also it is said in the, uh, in the gospel that uh, Mary's heart, our Blessed Mother's heart would be pierced by a sword. Actually, it says her soul would be pierced. Her soul would be pierced by a sword so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And that just indicates, to me anyway, that uh, Mary, the Blessed Mother, keeps all of our worthy thoughts in her heart, as it were, some heavenly locket that keeps all of the, the treasures, you know, all the, the heart, the love for her son that is in your heart and the love for her son that is in my heart, that our Blessed Mother kind of encloses it all within her heart. And when her heart was pierced or her soul was pierced, when our Lord died on the cross, that all of that would be revealed. <clears throat> um, so, uh, like a true mother, right, a heavenly mother, she keeps all that in her heart. And so I just kind of dedicate all of those intentions to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And she knows what they are. She doesn't forget, ever. <laughs> and uh, she can uh, turn to her, her uh, divine son in heaven and ask God to have mercy on, on all of those. So, 
that's what I do, and that's what I ask our, our viewers to do also. Very good. Yes, absolutely. Okay, well, um, Father, this past Sunday, January 22nd, we just um, celebrated, well, <laughs> celebrated what, what um, marked what would have been the 50th, 50-year uh, anniversary of the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision legalizing abortion in the, uh, at, at large in the United States of America. Um, of course, that last year was, was, was overturned, that decision. Um, but we had the, um, the annual March for Life uh, take place in, in Washington, D.C. And uh, kind of in conjunction with that, we had here in Cincinnati our, our own pro-life rosary procession mm. here in Cincinnati. So we, we wanted to ask on the program tonight, Father, if you had any reflections on this, um, what, what would have been the, the 50th anniversary of that, um, that, that event. And there, there was an interesting... Uh, I found an interesting article that I read that um, from a website that was, I, I think, very much opposed to the, the pro-life position. Um, but I thought they had an interesting take um, in reporting on the March for Life that took place in Washington, D.C. this year. Um, they made some interesting comments about how the, now uh, that this, this Supreme, Court, Supreme Court decision has been overturned, that there might be some kind of confusion in the pro-life movement about what exactly the next step is. You know, the pro-lifers have spent so many years fighting fighting this Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, finally got it overturned uh, last year. So there's apparently some, some confusion. Where does the pro-life movement go from here? What comes next now that Roe v. Wade has been overturned? Well, in the first place, um, you mentioned that our rosary procession here in Cincinnati every year is somehow in conjunction with the March for Life in Washington, D.C. And you might say in some ways uh, they more or less coincide because they both, you know, time-wise refer to the, the date of the Roe versus Wade decision, January 22nd. But um, that's as far as the similarity goes, really. Uh, the March for Life in Washington, D.C., which I've attended many times, <clears throat> and uh, actually um, I go there to offer the Holy Mass, the true Mass, the, the, the traditional Latin Mass for uh, traditional Catholics who go and take part in the March for Life. And uh, lately, though, we've had priests from the seminary go, and I'm very grateful that they have. And uh, um, uh, But um, also you know, when we can, we lead the rosary with our people there. But we're just a very small contingent of people, maybe 50 people or more, some more maybe, uh, in a, a veritable ocean of people. Uh, you know, the, this year the reports were saying 100,000 people attended the March, March for Life, which means that you'd have to multiply it by, you know, at least five times. <clears throat> um, they always kind of uh, underestimate the number of pro-lifers and they greatly exaggerate those who are there for woke reasons, you know, um, for leftist reasons. <clears throat> but that's what you'd expect, you know, the, the leftist press uh, is not dedicated to truth or facts, right? Um, but dedicated to an agenda, uh, to an ideology, leftism. In any case, um, in Cincinnati, though, uh, we don't just walk down the street yelling slogans, you know, give me an L, give me an I, give me an F, give me an E, life, what have you got in life? Well, no, just by yelling L-I-F-E on, on, the, on the road, you don't have life, okay? Um, it takes a lot more than that, right? 
And uh, the, uh, the, 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 the people who converge on Washington, D.C. Uh, for the March for Life are a very uh, diverse group. <clears throat> okay, you've got groups there with big red banners flying and blowing trumpets, making it almost impossible to pray the rosary as you're going by them. And uh, <clears throat> you have groups chanting various things, and a lot of them are Nova Soto, uh, conservative Nova Soto groups. Uh, I'm glad they're all there. I'm glad they're all, you know, pro-life and they've made the sacrifice to be there. Uh, it's wonderful to see so many young young people there taking part. Um, <clears throat> and uh, our own youngsters are encouraged to see so many young people there who are pro-life uh, also. But uh, I think they also wonder why uh, the people who are there aren't praying. And uh, maybe it's, it's like an ecumenical service there, and it's it kind of a, a secular ecumenical service, and they don't want um, some kind of sectarian praying going, I don't know. Uh, um, but in any case, um, I mean, they, they do have church services, Nova Soto church services before and after and so on. But it, it's not that prayerful, it, it's not the prayerful rosary procession that we have in Cincinnati. Uh, what we have in Cincinnati each year is dedicated to praying the 15 decades of the ro rosary uh, to our Blessed Mother, and this year we had about 600 people. Father Greenwell thought it was more like 700 people who came, and uh, it was overcast, about 40 degrees, or maybe low 40s, uh, which is not bad weather for us, really, um, a little windy at times, but uh, we've, we've marched through blizzards and and uh, very, very sub-freezing temperatures and so on. Uh, so this sounded, this felt very benign, okay? Uh, had some very good talks given uh, at Fountain Square in uh, downtown Cincinnati, and a very enthusiastic crowd. Um, but uh, the point I want to stress is that uh, the very character, the very essence of our procession is, it is a procession, a religious procession following the statue of Our Lady, and it is uh, dedicated to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and it is the function primarily of, let's uh, say, the Cincinnati Pro-Life Committee, but really is associated indelibly with the Immac with Immaculate Conception Church, um, from which this procession was started, you know, a long, long time ago, 30-some years ago. And it is dedicated to praying the rosary and asking God's mercy. Uh, it's meant to make, it's meant to be an act of reparation to Almighty God for the terrible sin of abortion and meant to be a plea of supplication to God asking Him to deliver our country from the curse of this abortion. Um, so as I told people on, uh, on the day of the march from the steps of City Hall in Cincinnati, it is in a sense conducting a kind of exorcism to deliver our country from, the, from this evil. Um, that's a very different, I mean, I, I wish that the March for Life were, would be dedicated to that. I bet you that 98%, uh, I'll just pull it out of the air, but I, I would be surprised if it did, weren't about that, 98% of the people who are marching down uh, you know, to, the, to the Capitol uh, for the March for Life, marching past the Supreme Court building, I'd be surprised if it wouldn't be 98% of them would join in a rosary if someone would lead them in the rosary. Um, even as we, our small group, walks along there at the March for Life, there are people either 
passing us up or we're passing them up. But when they hear the words of the rosary, they begin to join in almost spontaneously. You know? So, uh, as I say, most of them are new order, uh, and, but they still have the faith. And they're there for a reason because they still have the faith. Uh, in spite of the Novus Ordo that they practice. And um, I really do think if you could really, uh, you know, organize that, that they would most happily, most happily join in in the rosary. That would be a very powerful force if you could harness that for a supernatural good, a reparation to God, and, uh, and begging him for mercy to deliver our country from this. <clears throat> it hasn't happened yet. Will it? I don't think so. Under Nellie Gray, it might have at one point. Uh, but now that Nellie's dead, God rest his soul, she was a valiant champion, champion, always stood for the pro-life principles, the paramount life principles, as she called them, uh, starting with no compromise, no abortion, no compromise. That was Nellie Gray's way of handling it. You know, she, she understood the, the need for the principle, to hold firm on the principle. We're not going to negotiate on abortion. We're not going to negotiate... How many children are we going to allow you to kill? We're not going to negotiate that. Uh, so she understood the need to stand firm on the principle. The present leadership of the March for Life, I don't know. I don't have that same confidence. Uh, there are even those among the conservative New Order voices who fear that uh, the March for Life might be going kind of woke almost in a willingness to appease the modernists in the new church, and maybe even <clears throat> uh, the liberals in in, uh, in government. I, I don't know. I, I can't say that they're right in that, but I, I share their concern. Uh, there are indications that I've seen that make that very plausible. Uh, that would be tra tragic, as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, I mean, if, if the march does not declare itself 100%, without any hesitation, for Christ the King and declare itself for our Lord Jesus Christ uh, unequivocally, then it's adrift. And it's going to drift in the wrong direction. The current of the world is taking it in the wrong direction. So it's like our country, you know. Our country would be saved if we simply... Uh, had, had declared from the very beginning that this is a Christian country following our Lord Jesus Christ and we have to follow his commandments and we have to adhere to his, the true faith. Uh, that would have been the, the solid mooring, as it were, the unfailing anchor you know, that would have kept our country from being swept away by the, you know, by the tsunami of worldliness and liberalism. We didn't do that. Uh, and as soon as at Vatican II, um, the modernists managed to plant their flag and take over uh, the direction and hijack the church, because that's, that's basically what the modernists did at Vatican II. They hijacked the Catholic Church, uh, basically took it hostage. <clears throat> and again, I mean, it's been chaos ever since. You know, We have to completely dedicate ourselves unreservedly and uh, unabashedly, <laughs> unapologetically to the kingship of our Lord Jesus Christ and absolutely his rule and our absolute fidelity to him uh, and uh, brave the consequences, but we have to do that. Mm 
Mm -hmm. uh, the only alternative is utter destruction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when you mentioned the, uh, the the banners and the the trumpets, I kind of thought that might be a nice, um, I don't know, kind of parallel between the Novus Ordo and the traditional Catholic faith, where and I, you you said this or something similar to this, where the Novus Ordo, so much of it is just it's it's a show, it's a performance, and you kind of have all these bells and whistles, whereas the real traditional Catholic faith, the primary concern is just simply praying, you know, and making reparation to God for this for this terrible crime. But um, I think uh, being, being present, being a part of the Cincinnati uh, pro-life rosary procession, um, I think one of the most remarkable things is just, one, that, that there's so many um, people there from so many different phases. Of course, we have many, many traditional Catholics there, but there are also a lot of Novus Ordo Catholics, I think, who, who attended even some uh, Novus Ordo religious congregations mm -hmm. who, who take part in this and um, many different traditional Catholic groups, um, quote unquote. And, who, and they come for the rosary. And they all, they all come for the rosary and so much of it. You know, we, we, um, we do have some signage, some banners, um, you know, that, that are there that are present in the group, but it's, it's very clear, I think, um, to, uh, to everyone there that we're there primarily to pray and uh, to make reparation. And uh, of course, we're not, we're not opposed, you know, to making this a, a kind of a, a public, uh, public showing of, of our faith, but the, the primary reason we're there is, is to pray. And I think that's very powerful. And maybe from the way you're describing it, it doesn't sound like that's necessarily the case at the, uh, at the March for Life. At the, the March for Life, I, I mean, the individual groups can, can say that they're from Our Lady of Lourdes here or, yeah you know, St. Uh, John Vietti Church here. But as far as manifesting any real Catholic faith, I, you don't see it. Yeah. Um, we were carrying a very large uh, processional cross, actually from Baltimore. It was actually the processional cross that was made for the Archbishop of Baltimore on the occasion of the, was it the Sixth Council of Baltimore, I think. Yes, it, it, it was found abandoned uh, in a, an antique shop in Baltimore, covered with soot and so on. Can you imagine? I mean, this is what the Novus Ordo does. This is what it wants to do with the faith itself, let alone with the processional cross. Um, they want it to become abandoned as kind of an, a, a museum piece in a, in a back room, in a storage room. Um, at best. At best, yeah, exactly. And uh, so one of our traditional Catholics, by the grace of God and by... The, the influence of his guardian, guardian angel saw this and um, uh, recognized that it was a, a processional cross and asked about it and bought it. It was cleaned up and restored, and we were carrying that cross. It's very large, my goodness. I think by the time it's assembled, it might be 10 to 12 feet tall, you know, with the, with the post it's on. And uh, people always come up and admire that and remark on that, how wonderful it is. Now, we haven't actually led a contingent to Washington uh, since the COVID uh, fiasco. Uh, and I've been a little afraid of that because, uh, I mean, with the so-called insurrection, which is really the Biden insurrection, it's the Biden insurrection, uh, the Democrats needed to create that so-called insurrection in order to stop the Republicans from uh, objecting to the vote. And as I mentioned to you, there were 147 Republican lawmakers in that joint session of Congress uh, who were ready to oppose it, ready to denounce that as, as a fraudulent vote. Uh, and that was the problem that the Democrats were facing. Uh, 
Um, it wasn't the Republicans who wanted to stop it. It was the Democrats who wanted to stop it. And this is how they did it. They, they, they staged an insurrection. This is how I see it anyway, okay? Um, that they staged an insurrection and, uh, led by their Antifa friends and their uh, uh, other friends and the, uh, let's say their, their, their shock troops um, to set this up and to uh, basically short circuit the whole lawful process that the Republicans were going to, you know, object uh, to this highly suspect uh, vote. <laughs> and uh, um, so anyway, I, th I think it was they who actually are the ones responsible for it, myself. That's mm -hmm. how I see it. Um, and it worked. And they've been uh, basically, it's the gift that keeps on giving to them. But I, when I say gift, I mean in the German sense, poison. Uh, it's the gift that keeps on giving because they keep using it over and over and over again. They, they, they can't surrender it. Well, because that happened, I've been very reluctant to have our students go and take part because I never know what the Democrats have planned uh, as far as creating some kind of uh, justification for who knows what, you know, for lowering the boom. Because they have to keep finding some reason to blame everything on uh, their political enemies. Yep. So I'm, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm just a little concerned about sending our students back into that hostile territory because I, I don't trust, I don't trust them. Okay, I don't trust the powers that be in control there right now. Yeah. Um, so. The, the great cross that we've carried there hasn't been there the last few years, basically what I'm saying. <clears throat> but uh, I wish we could return there uh, with that cross um, uh, from the Council of Baltimore, because it does draw an admiration from it and draws people to us, and it, it draws people to come and join us for the rosary. Mm -hmm. So I, I hope that we can resume that. God willing, uh, you know, we, we can do that without fear of any danger. <clears throat> I mean, you saw what happened to Nicholas Sandman, mm -hmm. right, who was confronted by a, uh, a, a Native American drum beater who wanted, was summoning spirits, you know, to him. And uh, the, the boy didn't do anything but smile, you know, and how they pounced on him and tried to make a, uh, a, a shame, shame him before the nation. And, 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 but I mean, he represented everything that they detest, you know, white, a white, young white male, you know. And uh, they absolutely bald-faced lied about it to uh, misrepresent what happened here. Well, he was the victim. Um, and, but they're good at this. I mean, they, 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 they're, they've done this many times. They've gotten to be experts at this. And, uh, and that is a deception such that they turn the victim into the villain and the villain into the victim. And that was a case of that. And... Um, I, I'm just very uh, concerned. I don't want, I wouldn't want that to happen to any of our, yeah. our children. Just, yeah. Although I must say, to their credit, the students all want to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, to their credit also, they do come and take part in the rosary procession um, here in Cincinnati year after year. And they're in casting and surplus, and they're, you know, rain or shine and colder, colder, <laughs> cold or colder. Uh, they're there, you know, carrying the cross. They're there uh, pulling the um, the um, cart with the Santa Our Lady on it. 
Uh, they're there carrying the torches, right, in procession. So I give them a lot of credit for that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Father, what what about this other question about the the future of the pro life movement? Where does it go from here? There's some who say who might say, you know, that we 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 did it. We got Roe v. Wade overturned. Now it's up to the states. Our, our work is done. Mm -hmm. um, there are others who say, you know, we need to take this farther. We need to uh, keep keep the ball rolling in this pro-life uh, direction. Where does the pro-life movement go from here? Now we got we crossed this one big hurdle of overturning Roe v. Wade. What mm -hmm. happens next? What do we focus on? Well, uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade with the Dobbs decision simply made it clear there's no right to an abortion secured by the uh, Constitution of the United States of America. And we're told that, that it was going to be um, uh, can send back to the states, the individual states, to decide what to do with abortion, whether they recognize abortion as a right in their states. And so the uh, Democrat-controlled states rushed to uh, write abortion into their laws, even into their constitution. So there are so many states now that have actually guaranteed the right to abortion by state law, uh, even up to birth. This hadn't happened before, um, but they, they saw now this is where the battle is going. And uh, now um, uh, President Biden has declared a, a number of times that he wants to get it written into uh, federal law with the primarily Republican House of Representatives. It doesn't look he's going to succeed in that. But it looks as though all of the so-called red states, uh, all of the blue states, excuse me, it's the uh, media that decided which was going to be red and which was going to be blue. And I think they were kind of worried about naming the Democrat states red because, uh, well, you know, it represents communism, yeah. right? And uh, so they decided to flip that narrative there. But in any case, I, I believe the, the blue states are, are going to fall in line and uh, write abortion into their state constitutions. And if not into their state constitutions, at least they're going to uh, <clears throat> pass laws which are going to, uh, uh, you know, assure anyone who comes to the state the right to abort a child. I would like to think that at least the Republican-controlled states will uh, pass laws <clears throat> and hopefully write into their own state constitutions. Not only that abortion is not approved, is not, is not guaranteed by their state constitutions, but that it is condemned. I mean, that, that would be the counterpart to say no abortion in this state whatsoever. Unfortunately, Kentucky had a, a decision to make to amend their state, uh, well, their Commonwealth Constitution. Um, they, they could have written that the, the, the uh, I think it was a question of whether the uh, Constitution of the State of the uh, Commonwealth of Kentucky does provide for abortion or not, grant a right to abortion. I think that was voted down by the populace. Again, was it a true vote? I don't know. Uh, I'd, I have a higher regard for the people of Kentucky than to think that that really represents their wishes. Okay, In Ohio, nothing has happened yet. Uh, it should. Uh, we have a very weak governor, uh, often called a rhino. Um, we have a Republican, uh, I think we might even have a supermajority in our Republican House here in this state, but they, they just can't seem to get 
the solid pro-life uh, legislation through for some reason. Uh, one of our fine gentlemen here who spoke at the um, at our rosary procession at, when it was finished said that the uh, state representatives are, well, not bullied, but they're pressured by the Chamber of Commerce, which is very uh, leftist, I understand. And... Um, you know, the economy, the economy, the economy is the, the, the big thing with them. <clears throat> so, uh, in any case, uh, you know, those of us who recognize that the child in the womb is a child, and is a human life, we have to work uh, indefatigably to get into law and into our state constitutions protections for their lives. Mm -hmm. This is where the battle is now. Those who say, well, okay, our, our one thing that we wanted to say, we've said that the United States Constitution does not guarantee a right to abortion, and they're going to go home. They, they were not truly pro-life. If they were genuinely pro-life, they would say, well, now the battle has shifted, and we have to go to our states, and we have to fight that battle on the state level right now. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it seems that there are maybe a lot who, who think that way. I think I've heard that, I've, I've read that a lot from... Uh, those who will say, you know, now now this is a, a state level issue, and that's how it should be. So all is all is well and good, and um, that doesn't, as you say, it doesn't really seem to be a very pro life attitude. Well, maybe they're basing that idea on the uh, <clears throat> states states rights and saying, well, the Constitution gives states the rights. Uh, whatever powers are not given to the national, the federal government, by the Constitution, so this would, as you say, naturally revert the states to decide this. But that's certainly not the pro-life position. Right, and I, maybe we should be more concerned with, with human rights and the rights of these, these pre-born children rather than, than states' rights so much. But uh, I think maybe that, that line of thinking is what we see in uh, Kamala Harris and some recent comments that she made that were on the news. Um, I, just, I just wanted to, to read here uh, a quick um, quote from her, her speech. Uh, that she gave on Sunday, marking what, what would have been the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. She gave a speech in Tallahassee, Florida, and uh, she, she said that, um, that we are endowed with, with certain rights, but she didn't mention uh, the very first and foremost one of those rights, which is the right to life, and she also didn't mention where those rights come from. She didn't mention the endower, uh, God, him the creator. himself, the creator. Endowed by their creator with the right to life, yeah. liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? She, yeah, she just simply she, says that a, a promise we made in the Declaration of Independence that we are each endowed with the right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Um, well, this is a leftist uh, editing, yeah. editing of the you know, uh, Declaration of Independence, right? And this is what they do. They just edit it out. But, again, uh, you know, they're masters of deceit. And um, I look, at, look at Biden, right? He, he's trying to refer to, the, the, I think, the Pledge of Allegiance. And he gets to the name of God and he says, well, you, you know the thing. You know, mm -hmm. It's almost like he, he's gagging on the, the words. So, um, I, think he was, I think he was also quoting the Declaration as well. Oh, was he? Really? I, okay. I think so, yeah. Well, said, there yeah. you are. You know the thing. <laughs> they they just can't they just can't get it out. I mean, now with him it might have been simply the lack of brain cell functioning brain cells, <clears throat> but with her, well, it's hard to say. <laughs> you know, 
with her, uh, but it sounds just absolutely deliberate. Fantastic. It sounds as though uh, her speechwriter um, deliberately left that out. Not that she wouldn't approve of it, she certainly would. But this is what the leftists want to do. They want to eliminate God as our creator, and they want to eliminate uh, the fact that our rights come from God. And uh, so this simply manifests that. By the way, Tom, on the question of the a real pro-life position, okay, uh, obviously Kamala Harris does not have that. Uh, the only lies she's concerned about are, are, are basically leftist lives, uh, right? Um, and uh, nobody else really matters, uh, evidently. Um, but as far as the... Um, you know, if, if you have people who fought um, to um, overturn Roe versus Wade, and now that the, the battle has gone to the states, uh, necessarily, uh, and they say, well, that's where, the, that's where the argument belongs, so we're content now. Yeah. Now we'll just let the states decide it, and I'm out of the battle. Yeah. I'm not going to fight anymore for the lives of the children. Um, because all I wanted was the Constitution to be followed. And, well, um, as I say, they, they can't consider them as pro-life because how could they say, okay, now our state legislatures have the right to decide whether these children live or die. And um, they, uh, th they concede that to the state government uh, now that it's supposedly been taken away from the federal government, right? They conceded to the state government, well, what kind of mentality is that? What, what was the motivation for which they were fighting this? Um, but, you know, as Catholics, we have to understand that when we say pro-life, we, we have a very specific meaning to that, those, that term, pro-life. Um, we go beyond merely saving babies from abortion uh, because we realize that human life uh, has a higher purpose, and that is to glorify God. So we can't be satisfied with merely preventing an abortion and saving a mother from murdering her child and the child from being murdered by his mother. Uh, when we say pro-life, we mean that we want the life that is rescued from the saved from abortion, that both lives, the mother and the child's lives, we want them ultimately to have everlasting life. We want them to come by faith and hope and charity to the, the ultimate goal of every single human life. And so somebody who has the idea, well, I just want to prevent abortions. That's all I care about. Uh, even they don't necessarily have the, the pro-life understanding and pro-life perspective that we would have as true Christians Catholics, uh, we, can't, we can't simply be satisfied with that any more than we should be satisfied with saying, well, let's make sure that the federal government does not guarantee the right, based on a phony interpretation of the Constitution, to abortion for all the people in America. Let's restore that power to the states to say that a mother has the right to abort her child. <clears throat> and so the state legislature is now they're the ones who should decide that question. That's, as I say, that, that is just not a pro-life position at all. But, but neither would it be a pro-life position to say, well, let's fight the states over this and have abortion banned. 
and then leave it at that and say, well, I'm content. Okay, <clears throat> we've got an abortion out of our, not, not that it would be a bad thing to do, obviously, yeah, yeah. but, but um, you're still missing the point. Right. There are souls involved, okay? That's what it comes down to. There are souls involved here. And somebody who says, well, I, this is not constitutional for them to say there's a right to an abortion in the federal constitution, the United States Constitution. <clears throat> but I'm, I'm content with giving it to the states. Again, if they can't say that if they believe there's a soul, they're not really fighting for the lives of the children. They just are saying, I want to follow strictly the, the, the uh, exact interpretation of the Constitution of the United States of America. That's my concern. And, um, but they're not motivated by a love for the soul of the child. Otherwise, when the, when the power of determining life and death of the child is turned over to the state legislatures, they couldn't say, I'm satisfied with that. They would say, I'm still concerned with the, with the souls of the mother and the child. If they're motivated by faith and hope and charity, they have to be, every bit is determined, saying, now we have to take that fight um, and fight that uh, as, as, as doggedly and determinedly as we found it on the national level. We have to fight it on the state level now. We can't be content with that. And even after having won that battle, they, they have to think in terms of what the real, real pro-life position is. It's motivated by a belief in the soul. If you don't believe in the soul of the child, if you don't believe in the soul of the mother, if you don't believe that they are created in the image of God, and uh, that they are created by God for the sake of knowing him and loving him and serving him in this world and being happy with him in the next life, uh, then what are you fighting for? Then if you take away the soul from the child and the mother, you've reduced them to the level of just a mere animal, maybe a more highly evolved animal, but the image of God that is in them and the soul and the very purpose of their existence, you've just, you've just taken from them. You've stolen from them. You've reduced them to the level, basically, of a glorified ape. So what significance would their life have? Would any of these lives have, any of our lives have, if you denied the existence of the soul? If you deny the existence of the soul, you deny their creation by God. You say that basically we're just material beings without spiritual souls. We are the result of some blind evolutionary forces. That's all there is in us. <clears throat> and ultimately, we're all dust. That's it. In the end, we all become dust. Um, and I don't, I, I wonder if, if all of our so called pro lifers really uh, understand that, that this is a battle for the soul. It has to be. And the battle for the soul is a battle for God and God's sovereignty over human life. Mm -hmm. That does not allow us giving up on any level. Federal, state, local government, period. Um, and it does not allow for us relaxing our vigilance uh, of our, the real pro-life stance, which is we can't, be, we can't rest until the souls are ultimately in, in, the, in the beatific vision of God in heaven. That's our ultimate goal here. We lose sight of that. We've lost sight of everything. And do you think, perhaps, Father, that's why the pro-life movement um, maybe hasn't had as much success as we would like, because it's, it's like we're, we're kind of missing 
the big picture, like we uh, we can't see the forest for the trees, perhaps, and we know. Um, well, you no, know, I think so. No, I agree. We, we know lots of so. um, you know maybe maybe good meaning people who uh, you know who would call themselves pro life and maybe even fight very violently for the the pro life cause, um, but aren't don't don't grasp this full picture and will still you know kind of um, concede to some impurities or other other things that they don't actually realize are what's leading to that. This is the right reason why there can be compromise, because of the failure to grasp that. You know, otherwise, compromise would be impossible. Nellie Gray saw that. Her Paramount Life Principles, she understood the significance of this, of this fight here, what she was fighting for. But nowadays, you look at these, these even these so-called pro-life congressmen and pro-life senators, yeah. it's as though they really don't get it. And I think, I think that's the problem. I think they're politicians, not statesmen. And as politicians, they're always looking to negotiate. Um, but there are some things you, you can't negotiate the, away the lives, any of the, any of the lives of any of the children. <laughs> You can't negotiate that away honorably, um, and but I fear that many of our so-called pro-life people don't grasp that either. And I think what you said here, what you asked actually, but I think the statement comes out of it naturally that you're right in 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 in, in you know finding that this is the weakness here. This is why we haven't succeeded more powerfully than we have. Uh, I think we have to take the message to the people. This is a matter of the human soul here. This is a matter whether we're created by God in His image and likeness. Uh, image by nature and likeness by grace. And whether human life is about actually saving our souls and you know serving God here and ultimately being in heaven with God. If we'd had that message from the very beginning and told the people, this is the battle. This is what it's really all about. Well, I, I don't think we'd be in this position right now. Mm -hmm. I'd like to think we wouldn't be in this position right now. Yeah. And that's the message we still need to get across to people. And that's a very powerful message when you really think deeply about it and carry it to its logical conclusion, um, which is that we um, can really never rest while here on earth. We can never be content uh, with the state of things as long as there's any... You, know, you, you talk about this all the, all the time, Father, um, with, uh, in regards to the love of God, we can never say, I love God enough, or, um, you know, I love God more than anything else, so, you know, that's, that's good enough, I'm, I'm satisfied, I'm content with that, because that's not what love does, love is never satisfied, it always mm. seeks for more and a, a more intimate union, but that's the same case, I think, here, where we have a love for the truth, and uh, we can never be content, uh, we can never say the truth is accepted mm. enough um, until it is <laughs> universally accepted in every soul uh, on earth, so we, we can never... Um, well, St. Augustine said it well, you know, uh, 1,600 years ago. Um, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts can never rest until they rest in thee. And it is true, and that's what true love does, you know. So this loving God by half measures is an insult to God, who says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart, thy whole mind, thy whole soul, thy whole strength. Right? And thy neighbor as thyself. No. And at the Last Supper, our Lord said, love one another as I have loved you. <laughs> Which raises the bar very high here. Anything less than that is an insult to God. Um, to aspire 
to love him, to aspire to love him any less than that is an insult to God. So, um, you know, we, we, we have to be genuine. Like, it's like being traditional Catholic. You have to be traditional if you're going to be traditional. You can't be traditional halfway, half modernist and half traditional. There's no such thing. You know, it's a shimera, shimera, whatever they want to call it. Um, and uh, it's kind of a monster, you know. Mm. And so it is with being, with being pro-life, you know. Um, either you're pro-life or you're not, but you're not half pro-life. And if you are half pro-life, that means you're half pro-death <laughs> and you're a monster. So, uh, <clears throat> so we have to be honest about it. Yep. And uh, if we're not honest about it, then we're like the leftists living a lie. Okay. Father, any, anything else in closing? Anything else you'd like to mention? Devotion to the truth is the key. And I mentioned on the steps of City Hall uh, to begin the uh, the rosary procession this year. Uh, Father Michelli, uh, in fact, I, I've, I've been asked to, um, since, the, since that was not recorded, I've been asked to uh, maybe reproduce that, that talk, and maybe I will here um, uh, sometime soon. But I mentioned Father Michelli. It was a professor I had uh, in uh, the 1970s, early 1970s, he taught a seminar course on his book, The Gods of Atheism. Father Michelli was a Jesuit, and he was such a good Jesuit that the Jesuit order expelled him because he was a true Jesuit, right? not the one of the woke modernist Jesuits. He still had the faith very intensely and a love for God, and it was very clear. Father Michelli Father Vincent Michelli said uh, in the course of his seminar to the 200 of us seminarians listening that we are living in the age of the big lie. And uh, I remember hearing those words. Uh, I mean, this happened 50 years ago, almost, almost to the, you know, the month, 50 years ago, <laughs> here to say that. Uh, we are living in the age of the big lie. And I didn't know what the others made of that. I was kind of curious as to what other people made of what he said. <clears throat> I wasn't sure exactly what he meant by it. I actually didn't, didn't get a chance to ask him. I didn't take the chance to ask him exactly what you mean by that. The age of the big lie. <clears throat> but, uh, um, and curiously enough, after I was ordained, uh, 10 years after this event, the seminar, uh, I saw Father Vincent Michelli here, speaking here in Cincinnati. He was brought in by Keep the Faith, led by Howard Walsh. Howard Walsh just passed away, uh, just a matter of, I think, weeks ago now. Please keep Howard Walsh's soul in your prayers, too. But uh, I got to talk with Father Michelli, and uh, Father Michelli commented then, now this was sometime in the 1980s, I believe, that um, this is long before Francis, too, notice. He said, you know, um, back in the 600s, the church excommunicated and anathematized a pope named Honorius I because he failed to defend the faith against, against heresies. And Father Michelli said, imagine what they're going to do to these modern popes. Imagine what the church will do when it passes judgment on these modern popes. That's what he said. I thought, well, that's, uh, yes, I agree. You know, 
Imagine what the church would say about them with the modernism, the new order they brought in. But anyway, uh, and that's the last time I saw him. He's died since. He died, I think, in 1991. So I ask you to please keep him in your prayers. He was a valiant uh, uh, soldier for our Lord and follower of, uh, in a true son of St. Ignatius Loyola. <clears throat> the reason why I mentioned him is because now we know, I think, the meaning of his words, we're living in the age of the big lie. Uh, we're told that boys can be girls, girls can be boys. We're told that vaccines are safe and effective. We're told, uh, you know, that men can marry men and women can marry women, and uh, et cetera, et cetera, like lie after lie after lie after lie after lie. Boldly, told boldly and brazenly, uh, and, and we're supposed to listen and repeat, listen and repeat, listen and repeat. We're supposed to repeat until we actually begin to believe the lies, you know. Uh, we're being battered and bludgeoned by, by lies constantly from media. Um, it is really the age of the big lie. But when you say the big lie, you're, you're referring to one lie of all, and the one lie of all is the lie that makes us independent of God and uh, says that we will create our own reality. Basically what Lucifer did, that we will be our own God. That's like the big lie. I think that Father Michelli would probably boil it down to that now too if you asked him, that that really is the big lie. The big lie was what the serpent uh, Lucifer told to Eve in the garden. Defy God and you will be as God. You, you will know good and evil. Um, I think that's where we are right now. And what that means is um, that we have to, we have to insist on the truth. We have to insist on the truth and not in any way compromise with the lie. We have to be very bold in our profession of our faith bold in our living our faith and willing to sacrifice uh, in order to, to make that bold statement of faith, uh, un, unafraid, unashamed, right, unabashed. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> this is what it means to really uh, accept the church's teaching on the kingship of Christ in this world. It all comes down to that. Do we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Savior and that he is the Savior of mankind? And that he has the absolute right of sovereignty, of kingship, to be honored and respected and obeyed by every single human being on the face of the earth. We have to proclaim that. But first of all, we have to proclaim it to ourselves. We have to make it true. And, and having done that, living in the state of God's grace, uh, without compromise, without, um, uh, shall I say, um, um, Half measures, right? Um, without keeping one one toe in the water of the world, <laughs> um, that we have to convey that to our our children. They have to be the beneficiaries of that. They have to recognize that they are growing up in the kingdom of Christ, which is their home, and that's exactly what it has to be. It has to be the constant theme uh, of the, for the children growing up in their home that Jesus Christ is their King. And um, he's not a mere president, he's not a mere prime minister, 
uh, he is he's the king of all of these presidents and prime ministers. And they, by right, owe him their love and their obedience. That we are all, every single one of us, made by God, created by God to know him and to love him and to serve him in this world so as to be happy in him in the day, with him in the next world. Uh, in other words, that catechism answer that they learn when they're getting ready for the First Communion, we have to make that very real. And we have to make that a, a constant theme of their lives, you know. Uh, they are being told lies and being told by indoctrination to repeat them and repeat them and repeat them. We have to tell them the truth. And we have to get them to, to repeat that, the truth, the truth and truth, until the, it becomes very much a part of them, right? And uh, it, until it, it, it saturates all of their thought that I am, am a creature of Almighty God who created me out of love. He made me to be loved, and he made me with the power to love, to love him. We have to insist on that and have to really fill our children's minds and hearts with that, with that truth. So as insistent as, the, as they are right now, the politicians, the leftist media, uh, the oligarchs, the plutocrats who are trying to run the world with their money, as insistent as they are in drumming this lie, this lie, this lie, the big lie of Father Michelli's <laughs> seminar, we have to be more insistent on the truth and proclaiming the truth. Uh, we have to be stronger in, in proclaiming the truth than they are, more insistent on proclaiming the truth than they are in proclaiming their lie. So that's where we are, that's where we stand, Tom. That's where the pro-life, so-called uh, effort stands right now. We have to be insistent on proclaiming the truth of what pro-life really is. That's our faith right there. That's the truth. Thank God we have it. And um, <clears throat> put it on the mountaintop. Right? Let it be seen. That's a guide to all. Let's do it. Okay. Thank you, Father. Thanks for being here tonight. Thanks sure, for everything that you do. Thank God you. Bless you. God bless you. Thank you to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.